What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in and checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode 22. Today, we're going to talk about how sometimes things just don't work out. So in the last episode, we talked about kind of making something out of nothing and just wanting to start over again, you know, craving that instability and just kind of being a nomad. I feel like I'm always trying to make something out of nothing. This is a pattern. This is a pattern. We talk about things that we've learned. This is a pattern, trying to make something out of nothing, right? This isn't like, you know, when life gives you lemons, right? This is just trying to create something out of nothing. So when I decided to pack up and leave South Florida, like I was ready. I was ready to hit the road. I was ready to travel and to tour. I was headed back to the West Coast. I love the West Coast, man. It's the best. I shipped my drums and packed the rest of my stuff up in the back of my old Porsche and was ready to go. That was it. I was packed, locked, and loaded. This is when the unthinkable kind of happened. I was literally at the end of my street, about to turn onto the main road, and my car just died. Like car packed, cat inside the car, car dead. So I pushed, I pushed the car back into a parking spot on the side of the road, popped the hood, and this car had pretty much been completely redone under the hood. So I was completely just baffled. I'm staring at it like, what could it possibly be? It wasn't redone like because I was, I'm fixing up this old car. It was more redone because stuff just seemed to break on that car all the time. So I was always fixing it. You know, it's just kind of one thing after another. These old Porsches are these cars that when you buy them used, the previous owner will give you the keys along with like a huge manila folder full of receipts and repairs that they had done while they owned the car. And I had a similar folder. It was a giant folder, just chock full of receipts and repair after repair after repair. I think I bought that car for like three grand and probably put seven or eight grand into it. Drove it for six years, seven years, and then sold it for like three grand. <laughs> so it, it's not really a wash, but it's uh, I guess that's the price you pay for driving an old, um, somewhat beat up German car. But <laughs> anyway, so I did a lot of work on my car myself and I was pretty familiar with it. I had taken a lot of things apart, put a lot of things back together. Sometimes I would break things and have to get it fixed anyway, but um, I could not figure out why it's not running and why it just kind of died and, and literally left me scratching my head. I was just like, what is going on with this thing? I called my buddy Danny that worked with me at Whole Foods and he's a total gearhead dude. And, uh, you know, he was a dude that had like the big Toyota Supra with a huge wing on the back and drove hundred miles an hour kind of everywhere he went. I think I tried calling him at like 9 a.m. and finally got him to my house at like 10 o'clock that night. And uh, he came over and we tried to get it started and nothing. Like we tried everything, you know, disconnecting the battery and disconnecting the fuel line and uh, just every, anything you'd imagine. Like we tried it, um, you know, checking filters, checking fuses, all the things you would normally do. And finally at like midnight, we got it started and it seemed to be running normal, running fine. I uh, drove it up and down the street, turned it off a couple times, turned it back on. Uh, it was good. We didn't really do anything different. It just kind of started working which is kind of sketchy, right? But anyway, so I let it sit uh, overnight, kind of rolled back into my apartment for one more night and then decided to take off in the morning. So I rolled out the next morning and went to my car, got ready to start it up, fingers crossed, put the key in and it fired right up. I was <laughs> pretty, pretty relieved. So took off and headed back to Michigan. And my plan was to head to Michigan, drop off my car, 
and all my stuff, basically at my parents' house, and fly out to Orange County to start a tour with a band called Throwdown. Throwdown was basically this really heavy, straight-edge band out of Orange County that I had met while I was touring in Wells Jericho. And you know, meeting other bands on tour is is the best. It's a bunch of dudes that are on the same kind of journey, just in a different order. It seems like touring bands always bro down when they meet up on the road. Uh, we never toured with Throwdown, but we did some festivals with them and a handful of shows, and they were just awesome, awesome dudes. Orange County was a totally different world compared to living in Detroit. Like I think California in general is pretty different, but Orange County in particular was pretty cool. It had lots of really cool bands that were very incestuous. You know, um, Throwdown had band members from like 18 Visions and Wrench and Death by Stereo, Bleeding Through, probably a bunch of others I'm forgetting, but those are the ones off the top of my head. And, you know, I guess other scenes were probably the same way, but it seemed a little more glamorous, I guess, in Orange County. Good hair and palm trees, right? That's what it's all about. Anyway, I got on the road and headed up 75 toward Atlanta. And I planned on stopping at our friend Jeff's house for overnight, break up the drive a little bit. He and a bunch of dudes lived in this warehouse complex where they used to have all kinds of like punk and hardcore shows. I think I went through on a Friday night and there was a show happening in town. It wasn't at the warehouse, but it was at another club kind of down the road. I rolled into town and I called Jeff and he's like, oh no, I'm at this club. There's a show come here instead instead of going to their house because no one was there. So I roll up and the band that was playing was bleeding through which was awesome. They were all friends of mine and it was awesome to kind of catch up with them and hang out for a bit. Plus, I think we were all going to end up staying at Jeff's house that night. So cool to like catch up and hang out. I remember talking to Brandon, the singer, and he was pretty stoked that I was going out to play with Throwdown. Uh, He played guitar for them for a bunch of years, them and 18 Visions both, I think before breaking off to do um, Bleeding Through kind of full time. He and I always got along really well. Always cool to catch up and hang out with him. He's one of those dudes that I've run into in like 15 different states, uh, just randomly, sometimes different countries. Anyway, so I hung out in Atlanta for the night and then got up early to kind of get on the road and get going. I remember walking out in the warehouse when I was about to leave and there were band dudes sleeping on every couch in that place. Just crashed out. It was pretty early. So it was weird to say, but like I looked at them and I was pretty stoked because I knew that was going to be me in a few weeks. Just, just a side note, like who looks forward to sleeping on a random couch and waking up feeling gross and just beat up and just ready to do it all over again the next day? Oh, man, so wild, right? The, so the trip from Atlanta to Flint was pretty uneventful. Um, normal passing of all the crystals and waffle houses, every other exit and I got to my parents' house and hung out with my dad for about a week before heading to California. Always cool to get to hang out with him. You know, it's weird the stuff we remember that kind of pops out in our memory. You know, this was um, 2004 maybe. So it was like 16 years ago, right? We're really moving up in the timeline and the Hustle the Most podcast, which is cool. When I left my car at my dad's house, my dad had like a single car driveway. And so I pulled everyone's cars out and I pulled my car all the way up in the front by the garage. So no one would really have to move it or mess with it. My dad at some point was going to take it out for a ride. Like he really loved to drive that car. And so he just wanted to cruise around town and he got out and went to start it and it was completely dead again. And he messed with it for a little bit, you know, messed with the battery, did all kind of the same stuff I would do and couldn't get it to start. 
eventually while I was on tour, he had it towed and come to find out that it had a bad fuel relay. So this basically meant that the car wasn't getting any gas. And so apparently it was working intermittently. So in reality, like my trip from Florida to Michigan, it could have just stopped working at any time. And I would have been completely stranded on the side of the road, like wherever I was at, that was going to be it. Uh, yeah. So I guess we thank our lucky stars when we get a chance, right? So I get to Michigan, get all packed up, ready to go. I fly out to Orange County to start this tour with Throwdown and kind of start practicing, getting ready for the tour. And I remember getting there and I think I went from the airport directly to the studio where these guys were finishing up the final touches on the Haymaker record. This was their first release on Trustkill Records, which was pretty cool. Uh, this was the first record where Dave and Keith switched places. So Dave was now the singer who used to play guitar and Keith, who used to be the singer, was now playing guitar. So they did a little flip-flop. And Keith also played in 18 Visions and maybe Death by Stereo. I might be making that up. I feel like he played with those dudes, but it was a long time ago. Anyway, so I think I did three or four practices with the band, all without Keith. He was still on tour uh, with 18 Visions and... I remember 18 Visions got home from tour like the night before and we literally picked him up the day after and went to the airport. So he literally went from a van, then his bed for one night and then back into a van with all new dudes. It's always kind of weird jumping into a whole new situation with new dudes. It's kind of like starting a new job. Not necessarily for him because uh, these are all dudes that he's known forever. But, but for me, you know, whenever you start a new job or go to a new place, you know, it's like, the job you've done before, but it's a completely different company, but you're doing the same job. So, you know, you have new dudes, new jokes, new personalities, you know, the same kind of conversations, the same kind of arguments, you know, about which hate breed or Madball record was the best. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just bananas. It's, it's like, you know, same dudes doing the same thing, having the same conversations, but at the same time, it's new dudes, new conversations. You know, it's a weird thing to, to, to think of. Imagine starting a new job every couple months and just jumping into new things with new personalities and new people to navigate and understanding the ins and outs and in intricacies of a person, you know, at the same time while living with them in a van. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. So we rolled up to LAX and hopped in a plane, heading to Newark for a quick East coast run with uh, Hatebreed, agnostic front and biohazard. Yeah, this was a great tour, like super fun. You know, I had done tons of shows with Hatebreed over the years and Earthmover and Waltz Jericho and Until the End. And so it was cool. Like I knew those dudes, um, but that was my first time touring um, a full tour with them as well as doing stuff with Agnostic Front and Biohazard. Like growing up, I was a total Biohazard fan. Uh, still a Biohazard fan, but like when you're a kid, like this is like your, this is your band, right? That's your jam. That's your go-to. So every night I would stand there on side stage and watch them play just hit after hit after hit. And I'll just be beyond stoked. Like hanging with Evan and Danny, like after the show and Vinny Stigma and Roger and like just day after day, it was just so rad because those dudes have been doing it forever. And, you know, since like the eighties, right. When, when I was a kid, like they were out there touring and doing it and making it happen. So these shows were actually uh warm up shows for the hate breed throwdown European tour that was kind of coming, you know, in the coming weeks. So, uh, I wasn't super stoked to be going back to Europe because like I had just been there like six months earlier and it's always, it's always different, but that's, that's, um, it's part of the gig. So you, you got to do what you got to do. Right. 
So after the East Coast tour, we had a few days off and we hung out at Josh Truskill's house in New Jersey before flying to Europe. So Josh was a dude that owned a record label called Truskill Records that Throwdown was on. And I think I met him a handful of years earlier when I was in Walls Jericho and we were looking for a label to put out our record. So Walls signed with Truskill in like 2000 or 99 and we released a full length um, and then they did a few more after I had left the band. When I met Josh, he was going to law school in Syracuse, lived in this tiny one bedroom apartment, not too far, I think from the campus. And I remember it was so small, this apartment. I think the first time we stayed there, um, me or Candace, someone, someone set up their bed on the countertop because there wasn't enough floor space for everybody. So someone was sleeping on the counter. I seem to remember sleeping on the counter at one point, but I don't remember fully if it was me or not. I slept in a lot of weird places and um, that might've been one of them. But anyway, so, you know, he, he ran this label and put out records and he was doing it kind of pre and post law school, right? Which is pretty crazy. Like that's like the ultimate side hustle, right? You know, his label started out as this black and white fanzine where he did interviews with like bands and record reviews and eventually became this record label that did pretty well. Like Trustkill literally put out some of my favorite hardcore records. So I was pretty stoked to be back on the team and, you know, back in touch with that dude. And I think since then he's transformed, you know, since the music industry has changed so much over the years, he kind of transformed that label into um, like a new company label entertainment, something called like Bullet Tooth. And uh, it's pretty cool. Like it's, I think you got to change the times and um, I'm not sure exactly what he's doing with it. I haven't really kept up on it as much as I probably should have, but you know, it's always good hanging with that dude. He and I always got along really well. So always good to, to catch up. You know, it's like you meet these people and they just become part of your life for a long, long time. <laughs> so, you know, we're there hanging at his house for a few days um, before heading to Europe. And, you know, I talked a little bit about this earlier. Like it's interesting with an entire new group of people. I think that's something that only musicians probably think about, but it's almost like you have to learn a new language. Like, I mean, everyone's speaking, you know, English for the most part but a lot of the keywords are different. So once you adapt, it's great, but there's always this weird short transition period where you're both saying the same thing about the same song, but calling it two different things. There are these terms that, you know, band members use, you know, depending on the band, um, but they usually mean different things. When someone says, yeah, it's a rock beat for four, then a choke, then it plays out with a punk beat into the outro. Like some of the words have different meanings from band to band. But you just got to learn what people are saying and kind of understand what they're really trying to say. This tour was about four weeks long, which is about the right amount of time for a European tour. It's about a weekend that you're stoked to be out, stoked to be playing shows. Then the second week gets a little draining. You get tired. Maybe you're eating bad, staying up late. Third week, it's like, okay, I'm over it. I'm ready to, I'm ready to be done. And then the last week, you're pumped because you're going home. Uh, it's about the same way when you get home though, which is just completely bananas. You know, you're stoked to be home for about 10 days, see all your friends, and then you're kind of ready to go back out again. Uh, I think it was about halfway through the second week of this Europe tour that things just weren't really clicking. I got along with everyone. Okay. But I just didn't feel that I really fit in with them. Like those dudes have been friends all their lives. And I was just this dude kind of filling the space. 
I was just a cog in the wheel that allowed those dudes to continue to play in a band with their friends. And that's okay. Like, it's not a woe is me thing. Like, I signed up for it, so I get it. That was a pretty lonely tour for me, actually. I did a lot of soul searching on that trip, and, you know, those dudes kind of went off and did their own thing, and I would wake up, you know, on the bus, and everyone would just be gone. Like, I remember waking up at this festival in, like, Belgium or something that I'd come downstairs, and we had this, like, double-decker bus. So I'd come downstairs, and there would be a laminate sitting on the table with my name next to it, and then my per diem for the day. I walked off the bus, and our bus was parked on the road in a row of buses that stretched for about a mile heading down this road kind of toward the festival. So no one was around. I just followed the buses, eventually met up with everyone backstage, and, you know, it was like, oh, hey, like, there he is, you know, kind of thing. And, and I think eventually we talked about the future of the band and the next tours, and I decided that, you know, after this tour, I would probably part ways with them and head back to the States and, and figure it out. We didn't dislike each other. It just wasn't the right fit. I know they blew through a handful of drummers after me as well. So, you know, I didn't really feel so bad, I guess. But, you know, there's something about a core group of dudes that, you know, writes good records and just holds it together. Once the core group is broken and someone leaves, like it's only a matter of time until the wheels fall off. Sometimes it stays together. You know, people like ACDC, people like Metallica, right? This happens to bands all the time. The rest of the tour I spent trying to figure out kind of what my next move was. You know, basically I had two weeks in Europe to figure out where I was going to go, what I was going to do. I remember being at the Full Force Festival in Germany. And this is a huge, like, I don't know, 60,000 person festival or something. And they had these huge catering tents in the back. And in the back of the catering tents, they had two random computers for bands to like check their email and correspond with their labels and agents and blah, blah, blah. So I had nothing to do all day. I don't think we were playing that day. And I was literally sitting in the back of this hall on one of these computers, just talking to my friends on AIM Express. We're just going to date stamp that AIM Express, right? And uh, I was trying to kind of sort out like what the heck I was going to do and where I was going to go. And since there were two computers and I was sitting at one of them, people kept getting up and sitting down next to me and then getting up, sitting down next to me. Different people just come and go all the time. And at one point, I look over and Scott Ian from Anthrax is sitting next to me. And I was typing to, to one of my friends. I was like, dude, Scott Ian is sitting next to me. And then I would quickly delete the window so he didn't look over and think I was some weird super fan. you know. But I kind of looked over at him like, how's it going, man? He's like, good, just checking email. I'm like, yeah, me too. And let's try to be nonchalant, but at the same time inside, I'm like, oh my God, so cool, right? Just fanning out. Pretty sweet. Um, you know, but I sat there thinking to myself, I'm like, where am I going to live? And what was I going to do? Um, you know, I could go anywhere in the world. And it was wide open, and I had a totally blank canvas. So let's break this down for a second, and let's talk about what I really learned from all this. Um, I learned that sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes we fail, you know, sometimes the puzzle pieces just don't fit together. I learned that you can be at a festival with 60,000 people and feel completely alone. <laughs> don't get me wrong. There was like 45 minutes on stage where I felt at peace with the world and all was right. But the rest of the day, I was just completely dead inside. Like when things don't work out, you can lay in the wake and let it take you over and 
I think what you really have to do is just dust yourself off and just move along. Like I was so excited to get back on the road. And when it didn't work out for me, like I was completely crushed. But again, I signed up for it. The grass isn't always softer on the other side, but if you don't jump the fence once in a while, you'll never know for sure. So we're going to make this real easy. The top three things I learned from all this. The first thing I learned looking back at all this is that sometimes you have to chase your dreams at any cost. And if the wheels fall off, then you can say you tried. You gave it a shot. Like you're never going to sit there in your golden years going, I wonder what would have happened if. I think I really learned that being alone isn't always that bad. Like being alone gives you time to reflect and time to plan. It's a good time to be really, truly objective with yourself and with your future plans and goals. Gets kind of sounds cheesy, but think about it. Lastly, I learned that starting over can be completely liberating. Having no bounds and no agenda gives you the ability to think creatively about what you want to do and where you want to focus. Imagine if you could start over tomorrow. What would you do? Like, where would you go? What would you be? As always, thank you for listening to the Hustle the Most podcast. This was episode 22. Check out more stories and photos and connect with me at hustlethemost.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, click the like, click the subscribe button. If you're feeling super inspired, write a review, tell others what you think of the show. Always helps us spread the word. Thanks so much. We'll see you on the next one.